Matthew chapter 28. Last week we concluded our summer in the Psalms, and next week we'll start a new sermon series, and I'm not even going to tell you what it is, you'll just have to show up next week and find out, but anytime I have the chance kind of in between a sermon series, uh, I tend to often go back and do a sermon related to the church or discipleship, and um, I've looked back and noticed I've got a few of those over the last four and a half years, and so as I thought this week, what would I do, and I looked at a few options, um, I was reading over a sermon from a year and a half ago that I preached here, and um, I just thought, we might want to hear this one again, and I rarely ever do reruns, but this is a rerun, but I've looked at it, edited it some, and also thought to myself, who actually will remember this from a year and a half ago? We'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Matthew 28, this sermon is called, Where Are We Going? And the point of this is to remind us something we need to be reminded of all the time as a church. And that is that we are here for a purpose. Individually and as a group, God has placed us here together for a purpose. And it's not just to be a part of a group or a part of a social gathering, we are here for the purpose that Christ has left his disciples. And so we need to be reminded often of what that purpose is that we might follow that vision or that purpose for the church. In Matthew 28, Jesus has gone to the cross, he has rose again, and he is now meeting with his disciples, giving them some of his last words, his final challenge, if you will, in what we know as the Great Commission. And so Matthew 28, find verse 16. If you're there, say word. It says this, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, I pray that your word would go forth and bear much fruit this morning. I pray that you would remind us of our purpose as a church and that your, your gospel would be presented and that we would, we would seek every day and every week to accomplish and move toward the goal that you've given us in making disciples. Bless this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, this sermon is called, Where Are We Going? A reminder for us this morning of our, our mission, our vision, our goal. Three main points from this text, this Great Commission text about where are we going. Number one, we are going to stay focused on the finished work 
of Christ. In verse 18, Jesus meets with these disciples, and he said, All power or all authority is given me in heaven and on earth. You see, he is able to give them this great commission, this great command, this great challenge, because he is who he is, and he did what he did. He's able to give them this command because he has the authority, the command, the jurisdiction to command them to do these things. And he's earned that by his being Christ, being God, and also by his act of perfect life and sacrificial death and victorious resurrection. And so he says, all authority, all power is given me. And the illustration I like to use here is, if a co-worker comes up to you and says, hey, you need to go do this, you might not go do that immediately. But if a boss comes up and says, hey, you need to get this done right now, the boss says it, what do you do? You better get it done, right? Christ comes to his disciples, he is their master, their Lord, and he says, you need to get this done. What I'm about to say, all authority has been given to me, and you need to get this done. I want us to think for a moment about Christ. Think for a moment about the song we just sang, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Can we truly say that? Can we truly understand what that means this morning to say Christ is the most important thing in my life? And I wonder, I'm afraid that so often we are so distracted because truly we are blessed with so many other things. We're blessed with homes and vehicles and ability to go on trips and do different things. We have so much compared to most of the world that we realize what it means to say, all I have is Christ. If everything else was stripped away, could I say, he's all I have and he's all I need. Look at this quote from J.C. Ryle. We haven't quoted him in a while. But Ryle says here, um, I think I'm going to show it to you. If not, you can listen. Okay. He said, Christ is he who has the keys of death and hell. Christ is the anointed priest who alone can absolve sinners. Christ is the fountain of living waters in whom alone we can be cleansed. Christ is the prince and savior who alone can give repentance and remission of sins. In him all fullness dwells. He is the way, the door, the light, the life, the shepherd, the altar of refuge. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son has not life. The Great Commission, as this passage is called, is great because of who gives it. It's great because it's given to us by Christ. It's great because it is built on the foundation of the finished work of Christ. Christ by dying on the cross for sinners and by raising again from the dead, has finished the work of salvation. And because of that, he has the authority and the ability to say, all power is given to me, now you go and, and you take the gospel. Let me give you a couple of biblical illustrations to kind of drive this point home. In Acts 18, Paul here has, um, has gone to preach, and basically the, the Jewish people he's trying to preach to have have kind of shut him down or refused to listen to him. They've denied to listen to the message. And so he's going to go preach to Gentiles. And so in Acts 18, listen to what it says. It says, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, 
Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And the reason I love to mention this text in Acts 18 is because the, the point of this text is that Jesus says, you're going to go preach. People are going to get saved. People are going to come to Christ. I have many people in this city. And yet, if you go back and look at that, there was no gospel in that area yet. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have people in this city, and then as you preach, they're going to be saved. Who is Christ talking about? Who are these people that are presumably going to be saved in the next 18 months as he preaches there? He's talking, of course, about his elect people, those he will save through the preaching of the gospel. This is similar to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. When Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus said this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. Who are the other sheep? It's the people out there who are not yet Christians. Whom God is going to save when Christians take the word to them. And take the gospel to them. You see, God, Christ told Paul... Christ told his disciples, and he's telling us today, if we do our part of sharing the gospel, then he's going to use whatever part we do, and he's going to do his part, which is save souls. And by the way, even if I don't do my part, guess what he's going to do? <laughs> he's still going to have it. His, God's part's never going to fail, right? I might fail, I might fall, we might fall. God's going to accomplish his purpose of saving souls. Saving sinners, saving his people. And so the point is to encourage us. And the point is to be reminded, as in these texts and in the Great Commission, I'm reminded we have no need to find a newer or better method to grow the church. We have no need for that. Although there are conferences about it, there are books written about it. I've had meetings in churches where people sit down and say, all right, we need to think of how do we grow the church and get more people to show up for the church. Well, there's no newer or better method. There's really only one method, and that is pro to proclaim the gospel in the authority of Christ. That is the method, and that is the message, the gospel. And so I want to remind us today, as we do from time to time, that we here at our church are going to preach the sovereign grace of God in salvation. We're going to preach here the depravity of man and the wrath of God towards sinners. That God, because he is holy, must judge sin and must pour out wrath on sin. But we're not going to stop there, right? We're going to preach that God sent his son, Christ, who lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, and glorious, gloriously rose again, that those who deserve judgment and damnation and wrath would receive grace and mercy and life we're going to preach the responsibility of all sinners to repent and believe in christ for salvation and that apart from repentance and apart from belief no one will be saved and we're going to preach that all those who believe are held by god and will persevere to the end you see those are the things we're going to hold to because all authority has been given to who to christ in heaven and on earth.
So where are we going? Number one, we're going to stay focused on the finished work of Christ. Number two, where are we going? We're going to be disciples who make disciples. That brings us to verses 19 and 20, which really are the uh, meat, I guess, of this text, of this commission. And you've heard this before from me, or maybe from other preachers in the past, that the imperative in this verse, if you're looking at it in verse 19, the imperative is where he says, teach all nations. And some, some uh, translations say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, which is, I think, some more uh, specific uh, translation. Not just to teach in the sense of sharing words, but to truly seek to make disciples. So let's talk about making disciples, one of my favorite topics to talk about. Um, in, in the Word, in, in the church. And to, to make a disciple, or to be a disciple, is to be a learner, to be a follower, to be a student. You know, in Jesus' day, for example, if your father was a carpenter, you might be an apprentice for that car, carpenter, right? And as an apprentice, right, what would you do? You would watch them, learn from them, and eventually you would become a carpenter. Or maybe your, parent, maybe your dad was a fisherman. You would apprentice under him as a fisherman. Or whatever job it might be, you'd be an apprentice. And so Jesus tells his disciples, go and make disciples. But before he told them to go and make disciples, he made disciples out of them, right? We're familiar with the gospel. We're familiar with Jesus going and saying, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He walks up to another guy, hey, follow me, and he calls them to follow him. I, I thought about this on the way down here, and I was talking to Michelle about this earlier as, a, as an educator. Um, I heard this years ago, um, a method of education called hear, see, do. Have you ever heard of that? Hear, see, do. Um, and she explained a different one to me that it's called I do, we do. I do, you do, we do. Is that it? I do as the teacher, then whatever. I'm going to go with this one, hear, see, do. Think about the ministry of Christ. When he called those disciples, they immediately began to hear him right? They heard him teach them. They heard him teach the multitudes. They heard him pray to his father. They heard the truth from Christ. But they didn't just hear truth, did they? They began to see truth. They saw how he treated other people. They saw how he treated the lost, the poor, the hurting, the sick, the lame. So they heard his truth, but then they saw the truth, right? Did that make a difference? What if they heard Jesus say one thing, but they saw him do something different? Would he lose credibility? How about when our kids or younger people in our church hear us say one thing and see us do a different thing? Do we lose credibility? They, they heard him, then they saw him, and then Jesus said in the Gospels at multiple times, he said, hey, now you guys go and do it. You guys go and do it. I'm going to send you out two by two, and you go do some ministry. So he, he, he taught them. He was an example to them, and he sent them out. As disciples, church, we are meant, we're meant to be people that share the gospel in a way that people hear it. We're meant to live in such a way that people see it, and we're meant to do it and challenge other people to go out as well. The command Jesus gave to, to make disciples 
um, was meant, as I, I've said before, meant for us to be a river, right? Not a reservoir. We were never meant to be Christian cul-de-sacs where we, we get the faith, we learn the faith, we learn about God, and then it sticks with us, it ends with us, right? No, we're meant to be moving it on forward. You see, the goal of the church is not just to make converts, but to make disciples. The goal of the church is not just to make converts, but to make disciples. Can you tell me the answer to this question? Most of Jesus' ministry, it was about three years of ministry, most of it he spent with how many people? Who can answer that? Twelve. Most of that ministry was not with the multitudes, although he did go to the multitudes some. Most of it was spent with his twelve. And even he gave some extra time to Peter, James, and John. He had a little discipleship group of three. And there's also some times where it's kind of just him and Peter, one-on-one, or him and another disciple. And I know people who might say, 12 people aren't even worth my time, or 50 people aren't worth my energy. And yet Jesus gave us an example that 12 was worth his time. And he poured into them. He invested in them. And so when I look at the ministry of Jesus as a whole, it reminds me that our goal as a church is not to build the biggest buildings, not to bring in the most people, not to provide the most entertaining worship services, but our goal is to invest our lives into other people that they may become more like Christ. That's our goal. That's the clear commission Christ gives in Matthew 28. And that's the clear example he leaves in his ministry. I've used this illustration before, but um, is the church more like a warehouse or a factory? A warehouse is meant to store things, right? You take things to the warehouse, you store them. A factory makes things, right? You make things. There's an assembly line. Things are made and sent out. The church should be a factory of disciples, not a warehouse for believers, a factory of disciples. And even more so for us, church, right now, with all these young children and babies we have being born into our church, that we would seek to be disciple makers. Now, we know the parents are obviously the number one disciple makers, but as a church, how can we encourage and train up the other people in our church? Look at verse 19 again. So the, the imperative here, the main point here is to make disciples, but there are three other words that are very important that are participles. That means I-N-G words. The first one is the word going or go. Very literally in verse 19, it should be going, therefore, or as you are going. That's how literally interpreted to be. As you are going, you are to make disciples. Discipleship is not a once in a while thing. It's not a class you have once a week. It's not a mission trip. It's not a service project. Making disciples is a lifestyle of intentionally living to help others follow Christ. And again, this is not meant to be just for a pastor or just for a Sunday school teacher. Everyone who's a believer is called to this commission of trying to help make disciples. Now, we might do it in some different ways. We have different giftings. But we're called as we are going to do that. 
this is something, and I know I've shared this before, but this, may, this is controversial in some certain areas. But I'm going to share it again with us, just to get, our, get us thinking about it a little bit. The main purpose of Sunday morning church meetings, the main purpose is not to reach lost people. That's not the primary purpose of our meeting to, today. Maybe in the end as we go out to the world and try to reach them, but the primary goal of this worship service and every service we do each week is not just to have a lost soul come to Christ. Now, although, do we want that to happen? Of course, of course. But listen, the, the word church itself means the called out ones, the ecclesia. It means those who are, who are called by the name of Christ. And so when, when the church meets, it is meant to be a gathering of believers. Now, if anyone comes to our church and is not a Christian, we want them to feel welcome, don't we? And I think they do as they come through the door. They have different folks greeting people. We want people to feel welcome in the church. But if we are truly worshiping the creator God that we heard about this morning, if we're truly worshiping the Savior and Lord of the universe and of our souls, a holy, righteous God, then someone who does not know him, they might very well come sit in one of these chairs and not feel comfortable during our service. I would even say this, they probably should feel a little uncomfortable. If we're truly worshiping God in the way the Bible tells us to worship Him, they should at least be thinking, wow, these people are very serious about what they're worshiping this morning, right? I'm afraid we've dumbed down church so much in many circles that, that there's no difference between who's a Christian and not a Christian. I talked to a preacher one time, an actual pastor of a church much larger than any church I'll ever pastor, and he said, I purposely, and he used these words, I purposely dumb down my sermons so that people in my, that visit who may not be a Christian can, can understand what I'm saying. And I said, that's crazy. You really do that? Yeah. I was like, I'll know, I don't think I'll ever do that. I won't ever do that unless it's like a children's sermon. And I would argue our children's sermons are more theologically deep than this guy's sermons. Another friend of mine who goes to another big church, not too terribly far from here, told me, he said, we purposely simplify everything we do, and we make our entire worship service built so that non-Christians will feel very comfortable and may come to Christ. In that case, they mean we dim the lights to set the mood, we have smoke and cool, ba cool band members and stuff like that. We want the lost to come in and be like, this is a cool place. They got something going on here. And I said, how y'all doing on discipleship? And he said, well, we're not really good on discipleship. I don't really know if people really growing in Christ that much. But if an if a unchurched person comes in, we're the place. I said, what, what's the point? Did Jesus tell us to grow big, large churches? Did Jesus tell us to see how many people we can get into a building? You see, if you seek to grow the church numerically, you, and I've seen this in many instances, you rarely grow disciples. But if we seek to grow disciples, we will always grow the church. Maybe slow, but we will grow the church.
Again, I want to make sure I'm clear. Anyone who does not know Christ, I pray they hear the gospel here every week that they may come to Christ, right? We want that for everyone. We want everyone to come to Christ. But we're not going to change the way we do church to appease those who don't know Christ. The church is for Christ. It's for his glory. And it's for the believers to be encouraged to go and make disciples. Wherever we are, as you go, you are to make disciples. The second word there I want you to notice in verse 19 is the word baptizing. And I won't say much about this, but we know what baptizing is. And, of course, we've, we've had a baptism recently. And we think about baptism as that, that demonstration of, hey, I'm following Christ. I'm following after his example of being baptized. I'm showing the gospel that uh, he died and buried and was rose again. And spiritually, uh, we've, died in, we've died to sin. We've been buried with Christ and risen with him. And so we know how important baptism is, but on the same note, it, it just shows us a connection with our local church. We say, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm committing to this church family. That's what we do. When we are baptized and we join a church, we're saying, I'm committed to helping the people in this room grow in Christ, and I'm committed to, to them helping me grow in Christ. And so there's going, there's baptizing, and there's Again, in, in verse 20, it starts with the word teach again. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Now, this word teaching is a little different than back in verse 19. This is the more traditional use of teaching. And again, we have a lot of teachers and, and education type people in our, our church. And we understand that teaching is you care about students and you give them content and you invest your life into them that they might accomplish their goals, right? You want to see your student pass their tests, pass that grade, and graduate, and become useful citizens. And so making disciples, similarly, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, verse 20, means we as a church must help all of us, and anyone that comes in here, know all they can about God's Word. And we invest in each other that we might become devoted, mature, more complete followers of Christ. And again, this doesn't have to be just a pastor or just a Sunday school teacher. This can be any of us. If you can talk about your faith, you can encourage someone else in their faith. If you can talk about your faith, you can share the gospel with someone who doesn't know the gospel. If you can talk about your faith, you can help someone else grow in theirs. If you can listen, that's a big part, listening. People want all types of titles. I've seen this in, over the years in church, and I don't see that here in our church, but I've seen it in other churches how people want titles and they want the prestige. You know, I've heard of these types of things before. I've, I've heard uh, years ago a man wanted to become a deacon in his church because he was going to be running for office after that, right? And he thought, that, that'll look good on my resume, become a deacon in the church. I know, I've known guys who just wanted to become a pastor just because they thought it was a cool idea and didn't last long, right? Titles should mean very little to us, in my opinion. Unless it's this title, a disciple maker. That's a good title. Because it's not only a title, but it, it tells you what you should be doing, Right? Make disciples. I would rather have five committed 
disciple makers in the church, people who are committed to replicating their faith in other people or investing in other people. I'd rather have five committed disciple makers than five big tithers. I'd rather have five committed disciple makers than five amazing musicians. I'd rather have five committed disciple makers than five well-known people in the community. Why? We're not here to be well-known in the community or to have amazing music or to have a lot of money. We're here to make disciples. When I was 19, 18, 19, and my youth pastor, Scott, said, you're going to start coming to my house once a week. I'm going to teach you the Bible. I was like, okay. I didn't know what I was doing. And I, I would go to his house every week. He'd make me drink coffee. I hated coffee. He's like, we're drinking coffee. That's part of being a disciple. Drink coffee. Okay? Drinking coffee. We're gonna, I'm going to teach you guitar. Okay? And he taught me the word week after week. And not long after that, he didn't just teach me the word. We went to church. And he said, hey, you're doing a five-minute devotion today. You're teaching this devotion. Okay? Study real quick. Give a devotion. Not long after that, we went down to Camp Shelby outside of Hattiesburg. He said, hey, you're going to help me lead music and, and share your testimony in front of these 40 or 50 kids who have all been in trouble. Okay? I heard him. I saw him. And then he said, you're going to do it now. I have no doubt in my mind that I have no, I have no clue what I'd be doing right now if he had not invested in me that way and, and truly was a disciple maker. And not just me, by the way. He made many disciples. In a few-year period there, there was probably seven or eight different guys who went to become missionaries and teachers, uh, Bible teachers and preachers. And I'm not saying we have to do that. I'm not saying you have to bite somebody to your house once a week. But what can you do? to help someone else know Christ more. You see, this, com this commission is not just for these disciples, and it's not just for pastors. It is for believers. The last one. Where are we going? We're going to rest in the promise of God's presence. The Great Commission comes with this amazing promise in verse 20, of God's enduring presence. Which I think is important because if you look back to verse 17, it says they saw him and they worshipped him, but some doubted. And so for these disciples, there were still some doubt, still some fear. Like what's happening, what's going on. And even more so in, over in, in Acts, right? When Jesus actually ascends to heaven and they're like, he just came back, now he's leaving us. What are we doing? What's next? But he promised them something else, didn't he? He promised the Holy Spirit who would come and help them and guide them. And so whenever we might doubt that we can do anything for God, whenever we're afraid of what might happen if we try to step out and do something for God, I want you to see that your doubts will be resolved in your going. And your fear can be resolved in your going, not because I'm good or you're good, but because verse 20 says, I am with you always. Ultimately, church, we need to be reminded 
that God does not leave us, he does not forsake us. And everything we do, every decision we make as a church, every week we meet together to try to pursue this great commission, we have the promise of his presence. And so we, we just trust him and depend on him and rely on him to help us. God will glorify himself through a group of people who live together on mission for Christ. God will receive glory if we seek to do the Great Commission. If we rest on the finished work of Christ, preach the finished work of Christ, seek to make disciples, then he will be glorified. So how do we do it? How do we put this into action besides just me preaching it, besides just me saying, well, when you leave this building today, go and do some good stuff for Jesus. Like, that's the easy thing to say, but how can we actually put it into practice? And someone said this years ago, and I wrote this down in my notes. I still have it in a notebook somewhere. He said, every church needs to ask these two questions. Number one, do we have a process for making disciples? I have found this, that... Not many things happen by accident. So, and, I, and I used this illustration recently as well. I've, ta- I've, been, I've talked to a few friends lately about their budgeting and finances. And talked about how if you don't have a, a good budget or a good idea what you're going to do with your money, you're likely just to waste a lot of it because <laughs> you just throw it on other stuff, right? I use this for working out. When, if I have a plan to work out, I'm more likely to go do it. So what's our plan for making disciples? Do, you ha- do we have a plan? And then, is it working? And so you've, you've heard our plan time and time again, and I want to conclude this Great Commission sermon with our discipleship pathway. And as I give you this, I want you to ask yourself, where are you on the pathway? And what's your next step? And where do you need to be? And how can you get there? The first thing is always turn to Christ. All right? The first thing we want everybody in this room to know, right, is we must all turn to Christ for salvation. Christ gave us himself through the gospel. It is the good news that, he, that God gave his son for sinners. We want everybody to know that. We want to always be preaching the gospel. And so two through five on this thing mean nothing. This pathway means nothing if you've not turned to Christ. Number two, once you've turned to Christ, we encourage you to join the congregation, to be a part of the church, to be baptized if you've not been baptized, and to be a member of the church. That is so important because you're saying, hey, I'm joining myself, I'm committing to this group of believers that they might might encourage me, that I might encourage them. I think everybody should be a member of a church, of a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. So if, you're, if you've done step one and you've not been a member of a church and you want to be a member of our church, please come see me or Jason and we'll have those conversations with you. A part of number two as well is attending that church. By the way, those two things go together. If you're a member of a church, you should be attending the church, right? Um, we, we talk sometimes about having an active church membership and an inactive church membership. 
unless you're sick, right, or something's really going on in your life, there really is no such thing as an inactive church member. There really shouldn't be anyway. So be a part of the church. For us, by the way, we have our Sunday morning service at 1030. Next week, we're starting new Sunday school classes at 945 in the back. And so if you have not been coming to Sunday school, I encourage you to come. And we're going to have multiple classes back there for kids and adults. And again, 945. So that's going to put you here for two hours on a Sunday morning. I would encourage you to come be a part of that. The third thing, if you've turned to Christ and you've joined the church and you're attending church, I would encourage you to invest in the church. And the number one way, and I'm not saying invest your money, although that's a part of membership. I'm saying invest your time, and I want to encourage you in this way. Wednesday night is a great investment. Joining a discipleship group on Wednesday night is a great investment for you and for the church. Would you guys that come Wednesday nights agree, pretty much every week you leave, either you felt encouraged or somebody helped you with an issue you're dealing with, or you were prayed for, or you at least got something interesting you thought about during that study. Every week I leave with one of those things happening in my life. Every week I leave thinking, I'm glad I was there. Because Kendall said something that kind of stuck with me. Jacob said something that stuck with me. Cooper said something that challenged me, made me go back and read the scripture. Every week that happens in my discipleship group. And it's also a group of people that I might get a text during the week, hey, praying for you today. We need that in our lives. Number four, fourth thing is to impact or influence our crowd. This is that piece of it where when we leave the church doors, we are trying to be the best Christian we can be at home, at work, at the ball field, wherever we might go. With Christ-like words, attitudes, and actions, just really showing that the things we do here impact us in such a way that we go out there and live the Christian life. This is the part of us being the hands and feet of Christ and the light to the world. The final thing is to replicate your core. And I don't know that every single person might do number five, but I think a lot of us will and should. This is where you lead or co-lead or help lead a discipleship group. Where you say, you know what, I've reached the place in my Christian life where I want to help somebody else follow Christ better. And again, this, everyone may not get here exactly, but I think a lot of us probably should and could. I think there are a lot of people in this room right now who if I said, could you take two or three men or two or three ladies and meet with them and talk about Christ, could you do it? A lot of folks in here could probably do that. You see, my, my mentor, Scott, who discipled me, one day came to me and said, you need to be praying about somebody that you can disciple. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to keep meeting with you. It's fun. I like coffee now. <laughs> you know, I can play the guitar. You're teaching me great things. We, have, we go out and we go eat together. We hang out, whatever. It's fun. He said, yeah, but the whole point of this the whole point of me discipling you is that you might disciple someone else. So a couple years later, I remember calling him, and I was like, uh, I got some good news for you. He's like, what? I said, you've got some grandbaby disciples. 
because I was able to go and help make disciples of others. And so I don't know, and, and maybe this is somebody this morning is thinking, maybe I want to help lead or co-lead a discipleship group. Some of you already do this. But that's the pathway. That is a way for us to take this great commission and say, how does it, what does it look like? How do we apply it? And there's a lot of other stuff in there, serving people, encouraging people, other things we can do. But where are you on that pathway? What's the next step you should be taking? And then this. Do I need to go speak to Jason or Kelby today and ask one of these guys what, what I need to do next? And either one of us would love to help you pray for you on this journey or talk to you about it. So where are we going? I hope and pray, and I think you would agree, we're going to stay focused on the finished work of Christ. I'm not telling you what we're preaching next week, what Bible book we're going to start, but I can tell you this, it's going to focus on the finished work of Christ. Secondly, we're going to be disciples who make disciples. In this new sermon series we start, there are going to be pieces that refer to us, the whole thing refers to us making disciples. And together, no matter what doubts or fears or roadblocks might get in our way, we're going to rest on the promises, the promise of God's presence. Let's pray.